Hey campers, Resident Youth here. Just wanted to give a quick little intro to this episode. First off, if you haven't listened to part one of our interview with Kevin Barr that we released last week, please do so, as what you're about to hear is part two of that interview. Um, We pick right up where Shay left, and I continue the interview with Kevin. We talk a lot about prestige television, uh, Woody Allen, and other problematic figures within Hollywood, plus a lot more about the Oscar contenders for this year. So it's gearing up to be an interesting ride, and thank you guys for going on this journey with us. Enjoy. C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the millennial divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood all right, and we're back. Totally seamless transition. <laughs> I'm just I'm I have like half a chicken tender in my oh, mouth. Like I I'm can't... actually, we'll keep it we'll keep it running because no. we're we're keeping it loose. I'm gonna bring the wine bottle over here because this is like you know. No warning. Kevin after hours. Mm-hmm. And we can take the headphones off if you want because oh, yeah. she is Forget off about the thing. That. If you, I mean, you can keep them on because they look cool, but. Wine and chicken tenders. This is what you can afford in New York City. I know. <laughs> My blue apron wine and hmm? the cork kind of got a little janky. So if there's cork in your wine, janky. Um, it kind of was like crumbling. So if there's random cork, um, my second date with my girlfriend. Um, excuse me while I talk with a chicken tender. That was now. fine. Um, we bought a bottle of wine and brought it back to her place before we realized that she did not have a bottle opener. Oh, um, so interesting tried- predicament for a twenty-something. You'd think so. You'd think so. Well, I mean, it was only like a 30-day program that she was involved in at the time. Oh, okay. It was temporary. 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 Yeah. Um, So um, she got the knife out at first. You know, we tried the knife (laughs) technique or a fork, just like chipping away at it bit by bit. And then, you know, when I grabbed onto like what little bit I could, I realized I could push it down. So that's why I did. I just took my thumb and just pushed the cork like straight down into the wine a little spurt came out like you know a little bit of a fountain um but then you know after you clean that up you just have wine with a cork inside it you know not that bad that's awesome can't complain great so to jump back into the what we were discussing i think shay's question that she left us with was awesome um you know i know you're such a movie guy i don't even know if we've ever really delved into television so how do you kind of feel the two mediums are different and how do you feel about this so-called golden age of television that we're in <laughs> well at this point um there are a couple different um things about this um at this point when you have an entire season of television that's written by the same person or people and directed by the same person it what you're essentially watching is a long film you know right. broken up for commercial breaks or at the very least broken up for episode breaks um this i don't i don't watch much tv uh simply because i'm bad at it um i'm very bad <laughs> it takes a lot of commitment exactly you know i'm and maybe it's just a fear of commitment i have yeah. but um but no, i it's uh, true like i not to jump on your story but like 
Corey and I have been watching Big Little Lies, mm-hmm. and it's a great, you know, critically acclaimed it's show. Only eight episodes, too. Right, it's yeah. only eight episodes, but it's like, really, like, if you think about it in the context of a movie, mm-hmm. for every series, it's like, the first third of it is going to be like exposition, sort of building action. Absolutely. The middle part is going to be like, all right, things are happening things are getting, now, yeah. and then the last bit is going to be like, all right, the letdown. So it's like... To get into a show, you have to get past the first third mm-hmm. just for a lot of shows. I mean, some shows, like, right out the gate, it's like, wow, this is captivating. Yeah. There's action. But for, like, Big Little Lies, it was, like, the first episode, like, mm-hmm. one through three was really just, like, character development. So it's, like, if you're not invested in the characters and you're more of, like, an action-driven person when you're watching a movie or a piece of media, like, right. it's really hard to get into it, I think. Absolutely. The value, and I think, like, you know, in any TV show, the first few episodes are going to be tough, but a great first episode, yeah. followed by a few episodes that are a little bit tougher, um, that it's is helpful. where you really need to hit the hit the mark. Uh, um, Especially with the commercial aspect of, like, selling pilots and stuff, if your pilot absolutely. is bad, but the rest of your show is fantastic, like, mm-hmm. no, the networks are not going to buy it. Yes. Um, one TV show that I did just watch most recently was uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, yes. Amazon, which is just so wonderful. I've been hearing rave reviews from so many people. I mean, obviously, um, Rachel Brosnahan mm. won the Golden Globe. And the show won the Golden Globe yeah. for Best Comedy. And I loved Gilmore Girls, which mm-hmm. um, Amy Sherman Palladino and, you know, her yeah, whole her crew. Yeah, her husband and everything. Yeah. Um, I've not seen a single episode of Gilmore Girls in my life, mm-hmm. but from like five minutes into the pilot, I was completely in love with this show. Yeah. And the first few episodes are also really great, just like the entire season is really great, but the first episode um, is what sells you. Like right. you are completely sold on that, and even though the next few episodes take like a certain dip, and you're just, you know, looking for stuff to... I mean, things happen. Things do happen. Uh, but it's not really until, like, episode four, episode three or four, that, like, they really... The end of episode three or four, they really kick into high gear. Um, it's just, you know, the the, val- the value, the, the love you had for that first episode, like, carries you through. Yeah. You know, any rougher patches. Um, I didn't really feel that way about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Because right. I was just so... In- it was just one of those shows that like scene by scene was just so enjoyable yeah. you know it didn't really matter too much uh, awesome. but like breaking bad had an amazing first episode but that was yeah. interesting because they had like a great first three episodes and right then the rest of the season was sort of yeah i totally when i first started watching breaking bad i felt the same way like the first couple episodes i was like wow this is super interesting like different premise the act everything was great and then the first the first and second season because i was watching it late so i was watching mm-hmm. it on netflix so i could you know, watch a lot of episodes at once. But the first the first and second season, I remember because I was listening with Jenny, which I guess we didn't... One of Shay's earlier questions was, how do we know each other? Was it? And it's through Jenny, mm-hmm. who... Producer Jenny, who produces a show. Hey. <laughs> um, you went to... She was at UNC Wilmington for a year, and that's how you guys met. And then, yep, obviously... She, she was there for a year, and she just completely abandoned me. Yeah. <laughs> so left me to my own devices. And now she's abandoned us again in France. <laughs> I know. Like, she's just... She just... What can I say, you know? I, Je ne sais quoi. Exactly. Um, 
I'm not sure that's what you yeah. said, Bob. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's like live your life. I have no idea. Someone Jenny can tell. No, us. it's she like can you put have an a, editor's it, note when you this. say somebody has like a certain something, you say they yeah. have a certain je ne sais quoi. Gen- Jenny has a je ne sais quoi. About she does. Her. She lives in Paris. She's very cosmopolitan. She does. She Much is, cooler she is than us. a cosmopolitan girl, and I don't want to leave my apartment some days. Yeah. <laughs> don't we all? Um, what were we talking? I for- um, forgot to mention Oh, um, Breaking Bad. Yeah. So I was living yes. with Jenny at the time, and our two roommates. Darian and Sarah were super into Breaking Bad, and this was the last season. So this must have been like 2013, I guess, maybe 2014. Yeah. I think I started watching the second to last season. Yeah, and so they were like watching the episodes as they were coming out, and I was like, "All right, this like everyone loves it. I'm going to watch it." And I watched the first three episodes, loved it, got through the first and second season, and I was like, "This show is so bad," and I mm-hmm. didn't continue for like another year, and then I was like. I watched, you know, all my award shows and Brian Cranston and the show, like everyone was fawning over it. And they were like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to television. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I watched the first two seasons. I'll stick it through. And it wasn't like it was bad. It was just kind of slow. And then I watched season three and season three through five. The end of the show was like, I think one of the most amazing things. And Corey hadn't seen it. So I recently just watched the whole series again. Absolutely. Yeah. With him. And I was like, this is probably one of if not the best television show i've ever seen so yeah it was crazy um, i don't think i'm as action oriented as as yeah. you are because like i prefer say mad men over right. breaking bad and mad men which you know, i also clearly, love yeah yeah I but mean, that's more about the dialogue and the interpersonal relationships yeah exactly it's not and um then when you're watching it it feels you know pr- relatively effortless you right. know that and uh Breaking Bad, I think they set themselves up at the beginning with such an expectation of action right. and thoughtful, you know, character, but mixed in with thoughtful characters because you have Walt's whole dynamic of whether or not to kill the guy in the first yeah. few episodes that in the second season, I think they sort of had trouble, you know, gaining their footing on like a normal episode by episode basis because it's basically... The plot for the first three seasons, not to spoil anything. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. The show's been out. I have a rule that I'm like, if the show's been out for over a year, then like, you're, yeah, Mm -hmm. especially if you're like a podcast consumer, you're going to hear it. Like, absolutely. The, The entire plot for the first three seasons of Breaking Bad are Walt goes, Jesse, let's cook meth. Jesse's <laughs> like, I don't want to cook meth with you. Walt's like, too bad, let's cook meth. They go cook meth, and Walt is like, this was a bad idea. And Jesse's <laughs> like, I know, that's I why I didn't you. agree to it in the first place. And then they go back to their homes, and then something comes up, and Walt says, let's cook meth yeah. <laughs> again. And so it just goes right. on and on like that for such a long time. And yeah. I was like, you know, I was enjoying it episode by episode, but I was like, is this what the rest of the series is going to yeah. be? For the love of God. Yeah. And then yeah. season three kicked it. Season three, I thought, started off in a pretty similar way, um, if I remember correctly. But then it really kicked into gear in the second half right. when Gus is introduced and, um, you know, everything else. Um, so so anybody out there who's struggling making through, making it through Breaking Bad right now... It gets better. It gets better. <laughs> it's like high school. It gets better. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, well, before we dive into other stuff, um, we touched a little bit upon it. Lady Bird was obviously your one of your top picks of the movies that have been nominated absolutely. for Oscars. Um, but some of the ones that I saw, two, the two ones that I guess we can have a back and forth on because I saw them were I, Tanya mm-hmm. and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Right. 
you have any strong feelings on either of those movies? Um, I really, really liked both of those movies. Um, I think I, Tanya is pretty strong throughout. Um, it didn't get nominated yeah. for Best Picture, I don't think. No, it didn't. And yeah, I think that Margot might Robbie just... and Allison Janney did. Yeah, that might just be because it was... I don't know. There's some con- there's a little bit of like you know controversy among yeah. like film goers about it. And but it's I'll kind talk of like a, a poppy like with the the soundtrack. It's kind of a little bit more like in your face. I think. Yeah, a bit. I think that's the thing. Is it's that not it's super subtle. Very, very much in your face. Um, it's not subtle at all. Um, and I don't think that's what they were going for. I don't think they were going for um, for subtlety. Right. You know, a Tanya Hardy biopic focusing yeah. on subtlety. No, she's yeah. I one of the most unsubtle an people. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, Three Billboards, I really liked. I think it just sort of lost its focus in the last third of the movie. Or um, yeah, or, maybe, or maybe it just changed its focus entirely. But it seemed to me like it didn't... It, it wasn't... Until, like, the very end, it never fully satisfied what the movie was originally about. Right. Um, um, and so... I yeah. guess I can call it, call out a spoiler alert for right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. The uh, well, I'll ring the bell. I'll ring the gong when the yeah. spoilers are finished. Okay. <laughs> um, basically, in the final third of the film, um, it shifts focus away from uh, Francis McDormand's character is um, trying to get you know some sort of satisfaction because the police haven't found the people who raped and murdered her daughter. Um, and one of the police officers is this um, proven racist yeah. who likes to, you know, beat up black people and gay people in the community um, for similar, for pretty much no reason whatsoever. Right. Um, and so Sam Rockwell plays this cop who has like this very bigoted side about him. And in the last third of the movie, it starts to become more about his redemption right. rather than you know, the conclusion of Francis McDormand's plot. Right. Uh, so that's where I think that I'm, I'm a little bit troubled with it because like, I love Sam Rockwell so much Yeah. that, you know, well, I think you can't, you know, if you have, I think there's some truth to, you know, there being issues with the plot and the script and, you know, yeah. what the purpose of the movie is. But I think there's no arguing that the execution and the acting is superb yeah you don't know you don't really notice it like all the way through mm-hmm. it's just more something that i realized in hindsight i mean like the dialogue is just crackling all throughout yeah martin mcdonough the director of the film the writer director he did in bruges yeah. and seven psychopaths those were also interestingly enough also movies i thought sort of fell apart in the last <laughs> the last act but at the maybe same he's time, just you know yeah. he's an act one and two guy act yeah. three you know He's a play- struggle bus. I mean, he started as a playwright, so right. maybe it's just like he's used yeah. to two acts. And I totally thought that Three Billboards, it had sort of a play sort of feel to it. Absolutely. Like the setting and stuff. It was interesting. But um, but he, uh, what I was going to say is he uses profanity like a right. painter uses a brush stroke. You yeah. know, it is, he is like, without a doubt, like one of the masters of the usage of profanity in film yeah. right now. So even just for that, um... It's interesting. Uh, it's unique. Yeah, it's uh, just the the massive amounts of um, just clever words that come out of 
both Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson's mouth right. throughout the movie uh, just makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. So out of all the Best Picture nominees I've seen, just because of the problems it had in its final third, um, that's actually my least favorite out of all right. of them. Maybe, what's your best? What's your first Dunkirk, favorite? Dunkirk. Um, is your least uh, favorite or your favorite? Maybe Dunkirk is my least favorite. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's sort of like Dunkirk and Three Billboards. Yeah. But the thing is, they're both really solid movies. Yeah, so that's why I'm really happy about this year because usually there's like one film where I'm like, oh, do I have to sit through it's clips crappy, from that? Yeah. Um, and usually it's something that I disagree with the general public on. Like, um, I wasn't a fan of Manchester by the Sea the other year. Yeah, um, that was um, a tough film to watch. Yeah. It was like The just... Deer Hunter. It was just like super dark and like, uh. Yeah, except, there was, like, I, no except redemption. I love The Deer Hunter. Yeah, well, Manche- The Deer Hunter has a lot more like, uh, depth to it, I felt. Yeah, like, I Manchester think, like, by the Sea, it was depressing. It was like a depression film. It was like so sad and like, ugh, horrible. Yeah, it was a film about depression, but I've seen films yeah. about depression. But there was that no aren't... like. I was like, what's the point of this? Like, I, I got out of that movie. I watched it on a plane and I stopped. I was like, I feel sad. That's the and way. that's it. <laughs> some of my least favorite films of the year. Um, you know, I usually don't hate on movies that much. Yeah. Um, you know, I if it's bad, if it's fun bad, I like yeah. <laughs> it. But to, I like it. But to me, the worst kind of bad movie you can be is mediocre bad. Yeah. And um, that is... A sin that I believe Manchester by the Sea definitely committed. Um, American Sniper, I saw that movie. I thought, you know, parts of it were just completely ludicrous and yeah. just nominated for Best Picture that year. Um, and I have nothing against people who love those movies. Like, right. I'm not one of those people who will. You're not say, a snob. Like, That's yeah, one thing exactly. I like about you, which is why I wanted to bring you on, is like, there's a lot of people, I think, especially in film, I don't know why, because I, I think. get it. That's like the snobby critic yeah they're like what you didn't like this movie you have yeah. no clue like you know i like i studied film you have no clue how many people will say yeah. you haven't seen this movie and you're you're a film buff you're a film studies major i'm like yeah you know i haven't yeah, seen a lot of movies. but i'm also a real person who likes yeah. to have fun you know do you know what you know what i uh, my my response usually is um like uh i think probably the biggest film i still haven't seen just in terms of like the public loves it and that the film community loves it would either be a tie between like the shawshank redemption or goodfellas haven't oh. seen either of those two i've films. never seen either of those movies either so yeah well but you don't have Corey a degree the, you, yeah you don't have a degree in it so people right. aren't coming up to you criticizing it so yeah. you're lucky um <laughs> yeah well there's a lot i mean i just saw my first star wars movie like two weeks ago which one I saw the, the Return of the Sith first, like on television. Interesting. And then I saw the one that just came out, The Last Jedi. In Interesting the order. Yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts when it's all <laughs> said and done because you're watching <laughs> it in such a bizarre order. Yeah. I think you should. Ne- I think from this point on, because you went from episode three to episode eight. Yeah. You should like. I should book it. Watch everything yeah. out of as out of order yeah. as possible. Not a single <laughs> just consecutive to confuse myself. movie. Yeah. Just go back to six oh and then gosh. one and then uh, seven, three, seven, two, five. Oh wait, no, that still be consecutive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Um. um but uh, yeah, no, you should just do as films. much confusing things as yeah. possible. But there's a lot of classic films I still haven't seen, and you know. But my response to those people is usually like, "Have you seen Stunt Rock?" Yeah, no. 1978, exactly. It's a great film, yeah. It's a film that is all stunts and all rock and roll. That's the entire movie. (laughs) So, you know, just... 
you're missing out. Yeah. Yeah. So. So who's the real film buff here? Exactly. Um, so Dunkirk and Three Billboards are kind of at the bottom. What's towards the top yeah. for you? What are you looking um, forward to? Well, getting an award, perhaps. Um, this is a great year for awards because usually I like you know there's plenty to disagree with um but this year four of my top 10 made it into the best yeah. picture race um uh lady bird we already talked mm-hmm. about right get out and the shape of water were both my top 10 yeah um, i haven't seen amazing. the shape of water but i've heard i mean guillermo del toro yeah. it's amazing well people well um lady bird would be wonderful best picture winner because you know it'd be best picture directed like by a first-time female filmmaker right that would be wonderful Get Out would be revolutionary mm-hmm. because um, just of the context of the film, the content of the film. Yeah. And uh, again, and it's a, first so time, a, first time, a first time black filmmaker mm-hmm. um, has never won. And The Shape of Water would be revolutionary because I don't think there's another Best Picture winner where a woman has sex with a fish man. Yeah. <laughs> I can go back. I can go back and watch Gandhi again, but I'm pretty sure Gandhi didn't have sex with a fish man. You are right. Oh my gosh, I was watching. Not to get too off topic, but um, do you know who Ira Madison the Third is? He's like he writes yeah. for the Daily Beast. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with him. Yeah, he does some like film stuff, and he has a new podcast called Keep It. And he was he solely refers to The Shape of Water as the fish movie. <laughs> And he's like, I watched it, and the only thing I can glean is that there's a mute woman who has sex with a fish. One of my, but I've heard it's visually stunning. It's like beautiful movie. It is absolutely stunning, and for the most part, and Guillermo del Toro has never won. No, he hasn't. I mean, for the most part, he's made like you know, he likes he likes genre films. He likes movies about monsters or Mm -hmm. robots or just. But the thing about the shape of water is that you know it actually connects. It's a sweet with story. Yeah, definitely a sweet story. It's a, it's a fairy tale that also has like all of his like adult themes in it. Like right. it's very sexual in parts. Um, it's very violent in parts. Um, there's obviously bad language, potty words used from time to time, and but it's also wrapped up in this sweet fairy tale of a story. Um, and you realize like sometimes it'll go take a few scenes and focus on other characters that mm-hmm. aren't the main mute character played by Sally Hawkins, who gives an amazing performance um, that I yeah. think should probably win Best Actress. Uh, but I wouldn't be mad at any of the other nominees. Yeah, won. it's a pretty stacked category yeah, this year. Definitely. Um, but the but sometimes it'll focus on the other characters, and you realize that the whole film, even some, even the antagonists everyone is an outsider essentially and that's what defines them that's what the movie's really about they're about outsiders and outcasts just in the way the monster is an outsider Mm -hmm. and an outcast so that part really connected with me because you know even though you could just refer to it like i just did as the movie where women have sex with a fish man um (laughs) it is a movie about people who are outcasts from society her neighbor next door is this man is this old man whose older man has been shut out of the advertising agency because he's gay because he's openly gay um one of the antagonists slash protagonists it kind of depends um is a russian spy 
Um, and so he's kind of, but he's kind of removed. Like he right. doesn't go for either country anymore. That's um, interesting. And then Octavia Spencer's character, mm-hmm. you know, you have the obvious racial divide in Baltimore in the 1960s. Right. Um, so really, just this whole thing is just. I didn't accurate. realize it was a peer. It took place in the 60s. Yeah, oh. yeah, and that's that's part of, That's part of what makes it so visually stunning yeah. is they really take advantage of pe- of full period detail. Right. Um, which brings me to the last film from my top 10 uh, that's nominated for Best Picture that I did not think was going to get in. Ended up getting six nominations. Yeah. Uh, Phantom Thread. Yes, it just came out. I know. And it's supposedly, was... do you think it's really going to be Daniel Day-Lewis's last film? No. Yeah. No. He, I've heard it's great, he loves it too. He loves it too much. Like, you know, he, the thing is, he gets so invested into every right. single role he plays um, that, you know, he'll start to find different avenues in life that he's interested in. Like, I think when The Boxer came out, he was mm-hmm. thinking of retiring and becoming a boxer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now true. he's become, he claims, like, he wants to be a dressmaker. Like, uh, his character in, in the film, whose real name is Reynolds Woodcock, which is just, <laughs> for a straight-laced period, for what seems like a straight-laced period drama at first, amazing yeah (laughs) amazing for so many lines to have woodcock in it or the house of woodcock um and um yeah i think that he just loves it too much he probably just needs a little bit of a break because from what i've heard he like sort of went through a depressive spell while making the film and after making the film and he claims that he still hasn't seen it so i think it's something he just needs a break from for a little while which i totally get he'll return he'll i have a feeling he'll return to it because um, it's clearly his life's passion. Yeah, I mean, he if he throws himself into his work this much, like, I doubt he'll be able... I really doubt you could just give that up. Totally. Entirely. Absolutely. Um, but I love that movie so much. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, I mentioned mm-hmm. Boogie Nights earlier. Yeah. Um, he's made eight feature-length films. Um and outside of his first one, starting with Boogie Nights, every single film of his is a masterpiece. Yeah. Like, I would feel completely comfortable <laughs> saying that. There's not a single other director I can think of who I would feel comfortable saying right. every film of theirs uh, is a masterpiece. But for him, like, if you ask 100,000 film buffs, what's your favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, you're going to get every single one yeah. of his movies <laughs> mentioned That's awesome. at some point. And, uh, you know, and recently his films have gotten, like, weirder and more i heard somebody describe it as inscrutable earlier today which i wouldn't necessarily agree with but it's uh but phantom thread you know you had the master his past few films have been epics you know Mm -hmm. there will be blood came out in 2007 lincoln yeah oh lincoln was uh steven spielberg right no i was thinking of daniel Daniel day lewis Lewis. Yeah, yeah yeah no um but he did the master as well yeah, and then inherent mm-hmm. vice and all of these are like epics about you know a large group of people and then phantom thread comes out and i didn't know what to expect walking in and it turns out to be this period drama about three essentially the dynamic between three different people pretty much mostly set in one house and i didn't know what to make the first mm-hmm. time i saw it and then i see it again and again yeah. and i'm like <laughs> 
okay, this is an amazing film. Right. Um, it's it's a drama, but it's got a very, very wicked sense of humor about oh, it. I don't want to awesome. spoil anything for you. Yeah, uh, because, I want to see it. Well, because it came out yeah. so recently that I didn't... I don't know when, like, the Oscar cutoff and stuff is. I guess they just did the nomination, so it's, you exactly. know, pretty recent. But yeah, obviously you, it wasn't eligible for the Golden Globes and stuff like that, so it hasn't been getting a lot of... It was eligible, print. just not enough people had seen it. The yeah. Oscars, I mean, you know, thousands of people right. go for the Oscars it's every a much year, bigger the Golden pool. Globes is, like, 90. Yeah. 90 guys. Right, which is also why it's not a super... You kind of have to take... If you're going to be in the Oscar prediction business, the Golden Globes are not a super accurate predictor. It's much easier to buy a Golden Globe than it is an Oscar. (laughs) It's true. Um, And there's a lot of people that that were nominated for Golden Globes that weren't nominated for Oscars, like Jessica Chastain as an example. Yeah, I think... um, I haven't seen Molly's Game. Um, I haven't either. I absolutely love Jessica Chastain, but sometimes I just can't get around to seeing her films because the subject matter doesn't interest me as much as some other right. films and that there's are so out. many things um, that's you know and and god bless her for continuing to take these strong female driven films right um but sometimes you know i think miss sloan is you know was it's an important film mm-hmm. because you know it's about gun laws in washington dc yeah but something about movies set in dc and politics yeah it you're takes, like it uh, takes, takes a lot to get me it's in the a little theater too for that. a little too close to home for mm-hmm. a lot of us um, oh god yes i can't even imagine awesome. watching it by now i know it came out during the obama administration yeah. so oh well there's so many i mean that could be a whole different podcast but uh yeah no well to to bring it home i wanted to ask you you know obviously there's so much rich stuff just interviewing you um that well, we didn't with shay do the millennial moments and the hot topics but i wanted to give you the opportunity obviously this is a podcast about millennial life and bridging the millennial divide and things of that nature and we do you know talk about things in the news and hot topics and things so i wanted to give you the opportunity while we have the mic on if there's anything particular to millennial life or anything in the news that you wanted to discuss um well that could be there could be a number of different things um i will say about um the me too movement Mm -hmm. um and just the whole movement of women coming out about you know men who have sexually assaulted them or sexually harassed them it's incredibly important that we have that discussion incredibly important that that happens now um and sad but the sad thing is that it's born that is kind of born out of our culture of outrage so or not born out of but once it started it's become much more about um about the culture of outrage like the outrage and like like finding like who's the next perpetrator yes exactly there's there's a sick there's a sick um like desire like finding the next story yeah and um i read a wonderful piece in the paris review i wish i could remember who wrote it um about this woman who was talking about um all these men who have been accused of horrible crimes and mainly talking about how we separate the artist from the art or like how that even works because Separating the artist from the art, and I'm going to be the first to admit this, is something that usually is much easier for men to do because sure. they, they don't have to have they don't have to go. Or someone these who's never, that, you know, even for me, you know, I've had certain experiences and haven't, you know, if you haven't had exactly. the experience, it's easier to be like, eh, yeah, it's whatever. much easier to say, yeah, I'll watch, I'll still watch their stuff, I don't right. care. Um, so it's much easier to say that and just like 
because I've said for years that I've never had a problem separating the artist from the art. And I think a lot of that does come from the fact that I haven't gone through what a lot of other people have gone through. Right. Um, and the thing is, um, but one really good point that she brought up in that piece um, that I could like send you the link to. Yeah, we if could see like, we could put um, it on the It's website. a great long form article mm-hmm. that sort of examines the whole movement and examines like how we view art just in general. Um, there's something about um, when news like this breaks and it's somebody we really like, there is a strong desire from people to say, well, at least I'm not that bad. Like, right. I think that's why there's so much outrage. It's like the voyeurism aspect of like, yeah, it's know, an entertainment you, factor. You want to feel, you want to feel like you're above these people somehow, right. you know, like these people like Harvey Weinstein, you know, arguably the most powerful producer in Hollywood, clearly because he got the story buried for so many years. Yeah. Um, Hiring spies and whatnot. Exactly. Um, So he, so he's one of the most powerful producers in Hollywood. And if he can be toppled, now you can say, well, you know, I'm not Harvey Weinstein. You know, you can say that about yourself and it makes you feel better. So I think there has to be a matter, there has to be a certain matter of um, self-reflection when we all think about these things. Um, because too often we're just quick to jump to complete outrage and I'm not, and this is the thing I'm hoping what I'm saying is not misconstrued, uh, because the first I was going to lead by saying that when a woman comes out and says that she's been assaulted or harassed by somebody, you should, you should believe them just Mm -hmm. in general. Like you, like, you know. They're There's being, no they're reason being not brave to, yeah. by coming. They're being super incredibly brave by coming forward, and I can't imagine being in that scenario, having gone through something, and then having someone else tell you, "Yeah, but did you actually really right. go through that?" You know, totally. I can't even imagine how painful that must be. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's nothing to be gained from coming forward about this. Everyone who says like, you know, you can, like, yeah. oh, they just want their minute in the spotlight. Complete. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. I believe that um, uh, that there is a problem of of outrage, mm-hmm. and that it needs to be more reflective than what we've given, right. than what we've given it. Um, because public shaming. a lot of the public shaming, especially because we've a lot of these people lost their jobs, and they, you know, they should, you know, be shunned out of the spotlight for a while. Um, but the question is what do we do from here? Right. You know, I mean, granted, it's a lot of not, questions. not all of Hollywood is made up of these monsters. Um, but, but it's just... people that you wouldn't expect. And it's also like, what do you do? Like just using an example of like Louis yeah. CK, like, do you like on the go forward? Like, all right, maybe he's going to take a step back now, but do you like remove everything he's ever done from like yeah. do you the internet? Erase- do you erase it like woody allen that's a big one that's kind of on the the tipping point i think um and it's been on the tipping point for a while of like you know if louis ck like i think a lot of his stuff got taken off of netflix it's like yeah obviously i'm not trying to equate you know woody allen who's made such iconic films and louis ck who is an icon in his own right but it's like do you if the how do you deal with the precipice yeah like if we decide you know woody allen we don't want to we're not going to finance his movies all these Hollywood people who regret working with him, they're not going to work with him anymore. Do we erase, do we remove all of his movies from Netflix and Amazon and HBO and 
no one can ever see them again, you know. That's what it's interesting. Piece, that's what the piece on the Paris Review goes into, and I'll mm-hmm. definitely send it your way. Um, and speaking of Woody Allen, there's just you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. Yeah. Like, if this was brought up at all, I wanted to at least say this about sure. the Woody Allen topic because it's something that I've had trouble coming coming to, yeah. like some sort of moral, it's such a problematic one, some sort of moral reckoning with because mm-hmm. here's the thing: um, a lot of stars have come out now and said that they regret working with him. Um, But the evidence and the claims have been the same for 25 years. Right. So um, I fell in love with... I I loved Danny Hall when I first Mm -hmm. saw it. But when I saw Midnight in Paris, when that first came out, that was when I immediately felt like I had to go back and watch nearly every single Woody movie because I just... It's a great movie. I loved it. I fell in love with so many of his films. Um... So, you know, I think that's a really great thing that you just said of like the difference between some of these different allegations, like the Louis C.K. stuff, like, yeah, people in the industry might have known. Yeah. But to the public or like Harvey Weinstein, it was like, oh, my gosh, like revelation to the public. But like Woody Allen, Mm -hmm. like you just said, there's been been no new evidence. Exactly. It's either been more of the same or just republicizing the stuff that's been happening since the 70s, which I think it's is really interesting. Ever since like 2013 or 2014, I think it started like when the Golden Globes gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award. Right. He's like, these accusations just keep coming forward from Mia Farrow's side of the family. Yeah. So I'm not going to try and uh, defend it. Um, I'm not going to I'm going to try my best to be objective when I say right. this. Um, I looked in, you know, when, you know, all this stuff was first breaking and, you know, I'm a huge fan of Woody Allen's. Maybe there's a predisposition to, to believe his side of the story because I'm a big fan of his, but I'm also a fan of Mia Farrow. She's had amazing roles in her lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't want to believe that she would brainwash her children. Like, you know, that's the main side of the story of defending Woody Allen, which is that like she coached her child into believing that into These believing things. this horrible thing so yeah. that she could say it in front of the court and Mia Farrow could get custody of the children. So um, so I looked into it because, you know, I wanted to know more about the case. Sure. And you want to be a responsible consumer. Exactly. And ultimately, when I read through it all, I came to the conclusion, my own personal conclusion, that I believed that Woody Allen was innocent in that regard. Um, particularly, the one thing that always gets me and the reason why I believe him and why I'm shocked more people don't bring it up is um, Mia Farrow's other adopted son, Moses, who was older mm-hmm. than um, than his sister, Dylan, and not Woody Allen's own adopted son. So he has no right to defend Woody Allen, but Moses has essentially denounced his his the Pharaoh side of the family and says that he stands by Woody Allen because he believes That's interesting. I had never heard that. He believes that none of this ever happened and he was there on the day of these accusations of child molestation. Um and he th- he does not recall a single moment when Woody Allen was alone with with Dylan Farrow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always so much more complicated than yeah, it's, what the main headline media narrative is. I think that's true across the board. Yeah, exactly. So, And even my own, you know, I think that's really interesting that you brought it up. And I think, you know, it's good as a media consumer, you know, whether, you know, people agree with what you just said or they're on the more Dylan Farrow side of things. Like, I think it's good to be a responsible consumer and do they, your, do the research. They should know everything. They right. should know everything. And I think like this is the this is the issue that I have with a lot of people who 
are denouncing him now is that everything's been there right like you like you should have read it you right. should have read about it if you honestly believe dylan farrow that is right wonderful. but her story's been there yeah but the problem the problem is you can't say this and i feel uncomfortable saying it now you can't defend woody allen and it seems like in this day and age what it has to do with this it's, a, it's a trigger thing it's like people yeah. you know if i put the which obviously we're not going to but like if i put this podcast out as kevin screenwriter defends yeah, exactly. woody allen like that would not be great but it's like you know we're having a nuanced discussion and i think anyone that listens to this podcast front to back will you know I would hope so. Well, understand. And I think, you know, even my, just to add my own color to this, like the Louis C.K. stuff, like some mm-hmm. people that know me, I've told the story to them, but like the the main accusation against Louis C.K. was that he was like jerking off in front of women who didn't yeah, want it to happen absolutely. or whatever. I, I'm not in like the comedy community, but like I've, I know, I go to a lot of shows, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a big stand up and improv comedy fan. And I'm a big fan of, like, comedy podcasts, and I listen to a lot of them, and I go to a lot of shows, and I have friends that are comedians, and I knew about the Louis C.K. stuff before Yeah, no, I did, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, I think, it. just living in New York and hearing things, and depending on what media you consume, and, like, obviously, Gawker broke through the news, and, you know, I don't know what it was, like, 2014 years ago. Um, so I knew exactly. that, and I've, I've been consuming Louis C.K. stuff since then i've known it probably since 2015 three years ago yeah he should have come out he should have come out with his apology a lot earlier than he did right Um, and it's it's been out there it's been an open secret and a lot of women you know have tried to publicize it and they have gotten you know shut down and stuff so that's terrible but me as a consumer and i think this goes back into your woody allen stuff it's like i i decided based on my own research and like knowing people in the comedy community who have told me these things and whatever like personal friends and i was like i'm still gonna watch his netflix special yeah. and i'm gonna enjoy it and i'm gonna have a good time mm-hmm. and that's something that you know i'm gonna have to to grapple with and i think it is it is complicated and yeah. it doesn't mean that i i think that the women were lying obviously not i think obviously the fact that i knew that the story existed means that i believe it yeah um but it doesn't fact, mean that I don't yeah. think he's a, he's a brilliant comic and that I, I, I love Louis, the TV show. So I think, especially when you're closer to the world, like you being in film and, mm-hmm. you know, me with comedy and stuff, it's like you, there's, there's no one that has a clean record, right? Yeah. If you Depending. go back to like a number of different idols, like of, of, of film and TV history. Sure. Like there, there are so Hitchcock. many horrible stories. Hitchcock, absolutely. You know, um, and it's. I and, think uh, going back to your original point of the movement is worthwhile. I think as long as you're coming at yes. it from, you know, people need to be believed, mm-hmm. and you know, do your research, be a good media that, consumer. That's don't just believe what's being fed to you. Um, that's ultimately what I was going to say. Is that yeah. like the the problem of the culture of outrage is that you believe women first. But then you don't do anything else beyond right. that. You should believe woman first and then look into things. Sure. Read into the scenarios. And it doesn't mean um, you can you can be supportive of victims, I yes. think. I think you can be sympathetic towards Dylan Farrow and understand that maybe, you know, if we're taking your side of things, she she has had a troubled life. I Absolutely. Think that's well, regardless something. of whether or not um, it actually happened, right. she did she does have a very troubled life and she obviously very clearly believes 
yeah. what happened to her did happen to her. Right. Um, so so she deserves support. Yeah, she deserves she, people being there deserves, for her. And uh, and like the the communities that she supports are obviously um, very important. But the thing is. Um, Greta Gerwig, after winning the Golden Globe for Lady oh, Bird... Oh, yeah, she got lambasted for she, not yeah, she got, denouncing Woody Allen. No, she got, am, she she got, got ambushed, ambushed yeah. like, at the press junket right outside the Golden Globes, holding her statue for Best right. Picture in a Musical or Comedy, you know, one of the only female-directed films yeah. to win that award and this was her first time when this was her first time making a film and it was amazing and people have to ask her about a film she made with woody allen five years ago to, right. like calling on her just to just to get that poll quote yeah you know? just to get that quote so they can so they can be the outlet with the headline right that says um and they've says, talked about ira madison this is why plug in this podcast because it's great yeah. keep it it's a great podcast well, i hope ira madison's listening to this I, oh right my god now. i would love that if he was but um he he talked about that in the same the same podcast that we were talking about before where he was like you know Greta Gerwig it's good you know if she does regret working with Woody Allen like whatever it's she fine should, she should say that and she she, she did she ended she up writing it. a really nice piece and that was in the New York Times at least that's where I saw it she should do it in her own time. right and she she did and it was fine but yeah. I I agree and he acknowledged you know not to get too off topic, but like with the Aziz Ansari piece and with the piece in the LA Times about James Franco, they, you know, from his perspective, just from a journalistic standpoint, they were poorly researched. They were rushed to production. And that goes back to your thing with the outrage. It's like these outlets, you know, whether or not the, the accusations are true. Yeah. Which like, I think everything is like, you know, there's always a, there's always a kernel of truth there, right? It's just Absolutely. how much it's embellished or whatever. But um, well, it's, well, a lot of times it can be embellished by the journalist and not the actual person who's doing totally. the accusing. But it's like the L.A. Times. I think that story particularly, like they were, I think, thinking that James Franco was going to be nominated for an Oscar for the Disaster yeah, Artist. Absolutely, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Might have been because of all this hoopla with his personal life. Well, it came out the night of the Golden Globe, right? So. Yeah. So it affected it, and I think they were like, all right, we've been, people have been looking at James Franco for a while, we need a story mm-hmm. before the Oscar nominations come out. Absolutely. And that's what they did, and if you read that piece, like, I'm not trying to defend James Franco, I think that there are clearly some things that yeah. he can work on, um, but I think that it, it just goes back to, you know, this, you need to be the outlet to break it, and, yeah. you know... But you have to be the one to get on top of the story and yeah. how great would it be to take James Franco down? He's such a beloved actor kind of thing. And I think that's, it doesn't do a service to the main thing that I think we can all get behind. That's believe survivors. Yeah. The movement is important. Put your money where your mouth is. I think it's really important Absolutely. that a lot of these and, Hollywood types and, don't do. And just sexual harassment and assault needs to stop yeah. in this industry. And it is, um, it's in every industry. And I think that's industry, why. yeah. I love the idea of the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund because I'm like, it's not just impacting Hollywood survivors. You know, they, they've you know, said the mission... created to help every industry, and that's right. amazing. And that's why I'm like, you know, if they just said everyone that goes to the Oscars, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people the Kodak Theater sits. Yeah. You know, if, if they say everyone, we're all going to donate even five grand, mm-hmm. they would, you know... That would be impactful. Well, not the short right. filmmakers because they're definitely right. broke. <laughs> right. Maybe if it's maybe we'll caveat if it's your first time yeah. being nominated, you get a pass unless you want to. Um, it could be give what you want yeah. at that point. But but if you're be so much, if you're a Hollywood executive 
or if you're someone who makes $20 million on a film mm-hmm. and, you know, I understand that this is not everyone's cross to die on and, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. But I'm like, if you, if you're out there and you're, you're saying I'm on the right side of history, I'm trying to be part of the, the solution and you're not putting your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, not to get on another tangent, cause we've already been in an hour and a half. So I, I noticed. I know, but I forget. I just love talking to you, and I forget that the mic is even on. It's been I know exactly. So interesting. Like, I just, so I just there's a lot to say. I know. About everything. Yeah. And it's great, and I. This is why I love podcasts because it's, you know, you can talk as much as you want, and I feel like a lot of the misinformation that's out there is because of cable news or written news that you know you have to get your point across in a two minute relegated segment. To bites. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say a couple minutes ago. Um, was that you were talking about how bad the LA Times story was or mm-hmm. what Ira Madison was talking about. And I think that's the key is that like the Harvey Weinstein story, I read that oh, when it was it, I read that when it first broke and the New York like the article itself was amazing because you have wit you have um corroborating evidence mm-hmm. and witnesses and totally. so many people who are willing to come forward and it was and they've been working well on that story for and years. incredibly well written and now it's become the case where you know it's like any, one person no corroborating evidence yeah. you've been researching it for and a month you yeah know? i mean the aziz ansari story um you know even if there even though there is truth to it it broke on page six page six of the new york post which is not exactly the home of Hard-hitting um, strong, journalism. Yeah. Hard, hard-boiled journalism. Right. Um, so it's just... But the problem with saying this is that there's become this belief now that, like, if you if you critique um, inadequate journalism or if you look into a situation and decide, like, somebody's innocent... It means you're like being a critic. Believe, it means that you're... That you completely denounce, like... like anything you're on the wrong side any of the victims of any of these people is wrong right and that is the kind of outrage that i believe is completely misplaced and will just lead us it just lead it down its path to self-destruction and i hope it does not happen because this is a story that needs to be told and this is a story that needs to you know right have faith behind it but if we continue this sort of trend of you know jump of uh of you know jumping to like the first like little morsel of information we can get and just creating a whole story out of that right then it's going to become far more problematic right or just judging people like i think there's been a lot of stuff that i've read that's like you know there's a lot of listicles that are like oh, these absolutely. are all the people that you shouldn't watch their movies anymore and it's like completely subjective all right journalism right it's very subjective and yeah. it's also like you know i've even been at like cocktail parties recently where they've been like oh you know did you hear about such and such accusation and mm-hmm. i would be like oh no like i love the last movie that they were in you know yeah and then it's like i don't even know i didn't even do the research i don't even know if that's true or not exactly. and i'm already like oh so bummed but it's like uh yeah it just goes back to the paris review piece of like everyone wants to you know they they have a feeling of like well i'm superior to this person now right you know because i haven't sexually right. assaulted and somebody. i think that's the best thing to come out of all of this is like it is so commonplace mm-hmm. and you know we're all not to quote avenue q but <laughs> we're all a little bit racist we're all scumbags like yeah it's and obviously some people are worse than others harvey weinstein captain of mm-hmm. the worst than others oh but, god um james toback a story broke about him he's sort of like this 
independent film director and screenwriter who's always haunting Hollywood because they're like in the in <laughs> Haunting. Crowd. Yeah. yeah. Um, a story came out about him in the LA Times um, two weeks after the Harvey Weinstein story in terms of journalism. Um, very similar to the Harvey Weinstein story. Yeah, it was very, very well robust. Researched. But after that story broke and it said it was like 38 people accused him of sexual harassment, the final count ended up being more than 200. That's crazy. I couldn't believe, like, yeah. you know. Serial, it's really like serial, serial predators. That that that... A, it is incredible. So clearly these people are in mm-hmm. Hollywood and we deserve to do their stories more justice than what we're actually doing. Sure. Like outrage just immediately makes us jump to our worst, to our, the worst case, to no, not the worst case scenario because the worst case scenario already happened. But right. Like, we, need, we need to, we need to dive into these things more. Right. And it's like, it's know, focusing case on. Case by case. It's just, it's making people focus on the shoddy journalism and the sensationalism of the story as opposed to being like, there are real victims who need support. Absolutely. That's why I'm like, even the media outlets, it's not even, you know, I've been shitting on these like Hollywood elites that are rich that should be donating to the Legal Defense Fund, but it's like, I would love it if, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, but if the New York Times and BuzzFeed and Babe.net, and the LA Times, and all of these places, if they were all like, we're each going to give $100,000 each to the Legal Defense Fund. Maybe they have, and I just haven't. It, they need better PR people so that I've heard about it. Med- med- the media outlets can't afford it in this day and age. Yeah, but know. I'm like, even just symbolically, even if, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're they're obviously benefiting off these stories. I think it would be That's really true. powerful if, they, if there was some way to, to quantify it, to say, you know, if I was the New York Times and they were like, we've been getting this much traffic related and BuzzFeed, I know, because I have some friends that have worked there. Like they broke the Kevin Spacey story. Right. And they have really great analytics that maybe other media outlets don't have. But if they can see, you know, how many clicks this Kevin Spacey story has, you know, this um, this leads to however many clicks leads to this many advertisement revenues we're going to donate that to the Legal Defense Fund. I'm not saying, obviously, these are all for-profit institutions that need to make money. Yeah. Um, but I think if you're going to be a media outlet or a Hollywood person that's doing a lot of virtue signaling and saying, this is this is the list of people that we're not going to deal with anymore, and these are the list of victims that we're going to defend, you know, if you're going to do that kind of virtue signaling and if you're going to benefit off of this trauma or these stories, whether it's, you know shoddily researched or the most well-researched piece like the harvey weinstein piece like if you're benefiting from this trauma and you're you're part of saying like this person's never going to work in hollywood again and these are the victims that we need to uphold and this is the art that we should be consuming i think even saying i'm going to give a tenth of the advertising revenue if i was Mm -hmm. a buzzfeed or something i think that would be really symbolic and it would you know absolutely i think for someone like me that's a little bit more capitalism minded and a little less you know (laughs) and it's been uncomfortable for me like just um watching all these red carpets like there's been the golden globes and i watched the sag awards and i watched the grammys today like the golden globes obviously they all wore black on the red carpet Mm -hmm. right and then the sag awards i think some people wore like the times up pin like i saw camille nanjiani wore one and like some other people did but there wasn't like an overarching thing and then at the grammys they they all have white roses right that's what i heard yeah and it was really cool and i'm really glad that they're doing that because i think a lot of i think a doing something is better than doing nothing mm-hmm. um but you know 
But you're right. Symbolism it's virtue. only it's goes signaling. right. So the symbolism only goes so far, and I'm like, if these, you know, e news that mm-hmm. is covering the red carpet, if they could say, you know, every person that we're going to interview to give them this publicity, you know, you're a Hollywood person, you get so much publicity, they can only interview so many people, and there's so many people on this red carpet. If you get the opportunity to talk about time, your movie and not about this movement, like, I don't know, I just feel like it's weird to me that I'm like, they're, we're all just going to be like, what's the next movement for the next red carpet? Like, what are we all going to do? Like, next time we all wear pink. Yeah, I think And that's this... going to be the thing. Like, it's just weird to me that it's like, it's all very like PR manufactured. I don't know. The, well, it depends on who you're talking about. Like, there are obviously a lot of people who take it very seriously. Like, the right. people who originally started. Absolutely. Up, which would be like, you know, and that's why it was Chastain, great. Brie Larson, and, um, I believe Octavia, Viola Davis, yeah. Octavia Spencer. That's why I thought it was well. so awesome when Michelle Williams at the Golden Globe, she brought Tarana Burke, who was the activist that started the hashtag Me Too, yes. as her date, which was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you're right, you know, so like, like, if you're just, you know, doing it as, you know, showing your support by wearing a pin or something. Yeah. Um, like, I would show it's my support super- by wearing a pin because I can hardly afford lunch Right. <laughs> um, right. But, but you're not going to the Golden Globes. Exactly. You I'm are... not going to the Golden Globes. If I was going to the Golden Globes, I would absolutely put my money where my mouth was. If I was going to turn um, Times Up into a fashion statement, I was at least going to back it up with money. You totally. Know, like I was at least going to back it up with a donation. Yeah. Um, and so I don't – clearly I don't know – Right. All of and these every, Hollywood people. Right. And maybe they have all donated money. Maybe right. it's just a small token. No, well, I, I, I mean, this is all going back to me saying there's only $18 million in this fund. Obviously, there's all sorts of other organizations like Rain and other things that these people donate to. So right. I'm I not saying it's all bad. I'm just Rain, saying. Which is important as well. Yeah. But I think Time's Up is very important because um, Time's Up is going to give people the opportunity uh, from all industries is going to give people the opportunity to actually fight their case. Right. You know, instead of just providing like emotional support, Mm -hmm. which is still very important. um, It's going to give people the opportunity to take power for once. Right. And I think that is um, a key, key moment in this whole history of, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, we should wrap up. I want to do our rapid fire questions since this has been our longest podcast to date because you're such a great guest and I love, I feel like. I think we were just on this topic, this uncomfortable topic for like a half hour. So I feel sorry for anybody listening to this right now. I mean, they can hit the fast forward button, whatever. Um, But no, I think these are a lot of important things and Shay and I, because we're apart, you know, we record a lot of episodes at once sometimes and we don't always get to talk about things that are you know, very relevant happening in the news right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have such diverse guests that, you know, you're one of the first guests that we've had on that's had such an interest in film and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's obviously lends itself to this. Um, yeah. Well, uh, but just the last... if we're interviewing, you know, an environmental scientist, they're not going to have as much candor on this topic as you have, this... which there's going to be some interesting environmental scientists yeah. out there. Yeah. Um... No, well, there we've, had interesting know, conversations with them, but not about this specific topic. But I um, want to. Um, no, I think that the last word on the subject I'm just great. going to say is that, like, um, uh, yeah, just believe survivors and do your own personal research into these stories um, because because 
everybody all around including the victims deserve to have like the full length of these stories known rather than just jumping to immediate outrage which is unfortunately what a lot of people our age a lot of millennials jump to in anything you know in politics and in um and in this these kinds of situations or even just the latest Star Wars movie. Yeah. People jump to outrage very quickly. I know, quickly. I liked it. I liked the porgs and everyone was like, it was just a ploy by Disney to Who sell toys. Who cares? It I'm was like, adorable. Yeah, it was like, have some fun. I oh don't God. care. I'll buy a toy takes things fucking very porgs. You know? Yeah, they were so cute. Um, I found out actually that the island that they filmed on was filled with puffins. They couldn't oh. remove them. They, so they, they digitally CGI? removing them would have been a lot of money and um removing them physically might have been illegal so <laughs> they decided to turn them into their own little creatures oh my gosh that's so cute yeah so so they have like you know they, they have, have a, a legitimate reason yeah. for making them that's and awesome it's uh, they're like i said they're adorable yeah oh my um gosh. my my girlfriend got when we were in when she went to visit me in charlotte we got um, a porg that had like two suction cups that was hanging on the window oh of my a gosh, car. So cute! Is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Oh my gosh! That's Anyways, awesome. I didn't mean to go on a tangent. No, again. no, no. This is great. So we usually end the episodes with um, some rapid fire questions, mm-hmm. just you know, to place you. Um, so just answer off the top of your head. Um, we've already talked about favorite movies and stuff. So favorite book. Favorite book. Um, this is a very niche answer but kevin murphy's a year at the movies uh i read that when i was eight years old it's about a man from mystery science theater 3000 one of my favorite tv shows who went to the movies every single day for a full year and documented a bunch of different experiences he went to every film festival he went he visited the smallest commercial movie theater in the world he went to movie theater made entirely out of ice he dressed up as a nun for the sing-along sound of music. He <laughs> snuck an entire Thanksgiving dinner into a movie theater. That's awesome. It's is a great, great book. So oh that's my, my personal favorite. Like even though there's so many, like um, uh, probably uh, the Great Gatsby. I also read the Beautiful mm-hmm. and Damned by a Scott Fitzgerald recently. Is that's great. Um, but yeah. Um, favorite television show. Favorite television show. I would have to go with um, Arrested Development. Or Mystery Science Theater or Twin Peaks. Depending okay. on the day, any of yeah. those answers could be my personal awesome. favorite. Uh, favorite place you've traveled? Favorite place I've traveled. I have not traveled very far, um, but I went, I took a cruise to Bermuda when that's I was nice. young and I was 12 years old. The water was completely clear. Oh, that's awesome. And the sand was pink, and I've never visited a place that was like that yeah. since then. So I'd have to pick that, even though I haven't really you know, been much anywhere. No, else. that's awesome. That's very cool. Um, Favorite year of elementary school? Oh, that was a tough one. Um, I would have to go with fifth fifth grade. I was starting to understand that kids were making fun of me, but I still didn't care. Yeah. I just mainly remember that I had kids a couple of really good friends, some of whom stuck with me since until all the way through high school. Even now, like we still stay in touch. That's um, awesome. And uh, I remember the final Lord of the Rings movie came out that year, oh, so yeah. it was solid all around. That's I amazing. Guess. Some great answers. Well, thank you, Kevin, for joining us. If there's anything you want to plug, I don't know if you have like a website or social media or things that you want. I do not have um, a. I will plug my eventual crowdfunding campaign yes, for reading for Sarah. Yes, we will post about that whenever that happens. Yes, um, it should be within the next month, hopefully. Awesome. Um, fingers crossed. Um, but if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm just at real Kevin Barr. You oh know, gosh, I have to, to follow you on Twitter. You should. Yeah. I mean, I mainly what I do is retweet because 
um, when it was 140 characters, I just couldn't yeah. write things that were that short. <laughs> yeah. I ran into that problem a lot. Now it's 280. I, I still have the habit of just retweeting right. just a bunch of other stuff. No, that's but, great. But um, no, just follow me at real Kevin Barr, you know, as opposed to at real Donald Trump. You yeah. Know, just follow. <laughs> a better follow is Kevin. Real, yes. Um, it's definitely better. You'll get a lot more bang for your buck. Um, and uh, or just friend me on Facebook. If anybody's listening out there, you know, I post a lot more stuff to Facebook, friend me or follow me, um, and just tell me that you found me through this podcast. (laughs) You're not a random on the street. (laughs) Well, because, you know, sometimes you'll get, like, uh, friend requests from bots, spam bots. I found one the other day. All of our listeners are spam bots. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I found, uh, I got a spam bot friend request the other day that had the funniest name. I wish to God I could remember it, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say there is one... Uh, person who I found their name on like a notice recently. I think their name was Bradford Shellhammer. Oh, and that's great. If Bradford Shellhammer is <laughs> listening to this podcast, I apologize, but you sound like one of those rich, evil guys who would like take over the Ninja Turtles or yes. buy the Muppets show or something. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, thank this you so great. much, Kevin, for your candor and thank you. for making this the most interesting, longest podcast we've had. You can say and longest. That's, no. a, that's a fact. Well, Please I would have stopped it at 45 minutes if it was not interesting. So I did not know there was a, a, a estimated time. Nah. So. Yeah. you know whatever it's my podcast this is a joy all right well, thank you so much kevin <laughs> thank you thanks for listening camp adulthood is hosted by maddie yergi resident youth and shay keats camp adulthood we are produced by jenny mayfield and this episode was recorded in maddie's living room you can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood you can email us hello at camp and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.